0: Well, Luke is going to preach to us very shortly from 1 Peter 1, um, verses 1 to 15. And we're going to hear that read now by um, Rachel and June, um, and then Luke will preach.
1: Hi, church. This is Rachel and June. We'll be reading from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1 to 15.
2: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exile scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope
1: Concerning the salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit and from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Amen. Amen.
0: Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for the privilege it is. To be able to gather together in this way, whether in person or online, we praise you for your words spoken to us, written down and recorded for us, so that we can hear it for ourselves. And we pray that you would remove any distractions uh, from our, uh, from the rooms that we're in, or uh, from our minds or from our circumstances. Please help us now to engage our brains, uh, to think clearly and to hear you speak to us from your word. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Now, you are going to need your brain this afternoon. Um, Hopefully, you've got one. Uh, If so, that's good. Switch it on, warm it up, and get it running, because we are going to be thinking about thinking. We're going to see that the way we use our minds as Christians, the way that we use our minds is really important. And actually, we're going to see as well the link between our thinking and our feeling. Now, we're actually only going to look at one verse this afternoon, verse 13. But we've just read all of the stuff that comes before it. And I think you'll agree that it's a great passage. It's full of... It's it's almost like a... um, Oh, goodness. (coughs) A fly just flew straight down my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know how we were praying against any distractions well there you go there's one of them and I always say to my church family at Silver Street okay well um while he gets me a drink I'll, I'll tell you this story at Silver Street um if, if you've ever been or if you ever do come you'll, you'll realize that it's a, a place full of various distractions um there's all sorts that goes on around the building and inside we live in an area where there's there's lots of characters in the area should we put it that way Uh, And so there's often, thank you very much, there's often distractions uh, in the service like this one. And what I always say to the church family is, we know who that distraction is coming from, right? Let's not let it uh, distract us from God's word. And also let's use it as an opportunity to re-engage. Hopefully no one was asleep by that point, but if you were, now you're not. Anyway. Um, We're going to just look at that one verse today, verse 13. And I was about to say it's like a Christmas stocking. You know Christmas stockings which are just kind of jam-packed full of goodies. And so you're going to get one out, one after another. And that's kind of what Peter's been doing in those first few verses which we read through those first kind of 12 verses. I I like to call it a, a buffet of blessings. As Peter, kind of like a waiter, just slapping down and pulling out delicious Juicy truth after juicy truth. Just run your eyes down with me if you've got a Bible in front of you from verse 3. Peter's been talking about things like God's great mercy. That's a good thing, isn't it? God's great mercy by which he has given us new birth. We have been born again. Amazing. Into a living hope. As Christians, we we have a hope that will never die. Verse 4, we've got this inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And and that inheritance is kept in heaven for us. We, verse 5, are kept in heaven. We're kept for it in heaven. And we've seen then in verse 6 and 7 how we can have joy even in the midst of the most difficult of trials because we know that those trials are producing a refined faith proving the genuineness of our faith. and verse 8, Peter goes on to talk about this inexpressible, indescribable, glorious joy that we have as we have an ongoing, growing relationship with the Lord Jesus. And then from verse 10 to 12, he talks about what a privilege it is for us to live at this time in history, this side of the cross, where the Messiah has been revealed in all of his glory. It's just a buffet of blessings, a feast, Christmas stocking, just goodies after goodies coming out of those first 12 verses. And then we get to verse 13 and we get to a really important word. Look at the first word of verse 13. Therefore, it's a connecting word. It connects everything that's gone before with everything that follows and what follows is a bunch of instructions and commands. These, uh, this buffet of blessings, this Christmas stocking full of spiritual goodies, it's n- they're not just kind of abstract spiritual truths. They are supposed to, they're supposed to grip. They're supposed to do something. It's not like Peter just had space in his postcard that he wanted to fill up with some nice stuff. This buffet of blessings is designed to make a difference. Peter has laid the foundation and now he's going to build on that foundation as he gets to the commands. So far in the book of 1 Peter, there have been no commands. From this point on, there are loads of commands and it all flows from what he's just set up in the first 12 verses. Because of all this, key word, therefore do all this. Now, it's crucial that we get this uh, the right way around. It's always this way around in the Bible. It's never flipped. Never do we, do we see the Bible saying, do all of this, and therefore you will be saved. And never does the Bible say, you want to obey this stuff so that you can earn your salvation. It is always this way around. This is what has happened to you. This is what God has done for you. Therefore, obey. You have been saved. Therefore, live as saved people. Now, I'm going to labor that point because uh, Peter doesn't start with these commands. I know we're kind of jumping straight into verse 13 now uh, and into the kind of imperatives, the commands that we're going to get to in a second. But we must remember the context. Peter does not say, obey, 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 and all of those blessings could be yours. He says, all of this is yours, therefore. But there is always a therefore. God's saving grace will always have a transformative effect in every part of our lives in every part of our beings. And what we see in these next few verses is that the reality of God's great salvation must shape both our mindset and our conduct, our thinking and our doing. And we're just going to focus on that, that first part today, which is why I said you need your brain, because we're going to see how this great salvation should shape our thinking as we dive into the first command here of this letter. So let me read verse 13 again. This is our focus verse. Peter says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. There's the command. Set your hope. Peter says, hope. Hope fully in this. How can you command someone to hope? Hope is an emotion, a feeling. It's like telling someone, be happy, or get excited about this. How how are we supposed to obey this command? How are we supposed to do that? Well, we see in this verse that it is connected with our thinking. That's why Peter starts the verse by saying, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. If we're going to have living hope, here are two descriptions of what our minds will be like. And the first is alert. It's there in the verse. Minds that are alert. That's about being switched on, ready for action. Uh, As I said, uh, we have three young children, and so Paw Patrol is a pretty big part of uh, my life. Um, has anyone ever watched Paw Patrol in the room? Okay, a couple of hands. If you haven't watched Paw Patrol, um, I advise you online to pause the service and go... No, no, don't do that. <laughs> but do go and watch it at some point because I think it is one of the better TV, uh, kids' TV programmes. If you're not familiar, um, then it's about a, a group of pups, dogs, uh, who go and rescue people who get in trouble around Adventure Bay. Adventure Bay is one of those places, a bit like Pontypandy, where everyone just gets in trouble all of the time. And Fireman Sam has to go and rescue them, and, and the pups have to be alert and ready to go. Uh, the leader of the pups is, is not a pup, actually. He's a boy called Ryder. And, and if anyone gets in trouble around Adventure Bay, they can, they can call Ryder, and Ryder presses a button, and the dog tags around the pup's neck light up, and they say, Ryder needs us. And so they drop whatever they're doing, and they rush to the lookout, which is where they get sent on their missions from. Um, and, and, they, and they rush up the stairs. In fact, I think it's an elevator. They get all of their gear on, and they stand before Ryder and they say, Ready for action, rider Sir. That's what it means to be alert, ready for action. Minds that are alert. Literally, the phrase is, Gird up the loins of your mind. That's an image taken from a, a culture. And a time where uh, a lot of the men would generally wear long, long kind of robes. And so if they needed to do anything strenuous, any sort of activity, first what they'd have to do is kind of tuck their robes into their belt. So do you remember the story of uh, Elijah and Ahab where there hasn't been rain for three years? And then Elijah goes up on the mountain and he prays and he sees that cloud Uh, rise in the sky and he realizes that it's going to be a big thunderstorm. And so he he goes back down the mountain and he runs ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel. What does he do before he runs in front of a chariot? He girds up his loins. He lifts up his, his robes and he tucks them into his belt. Or think about the Passover and how the Israelites, God's people, were told to eat that Passover with their loins girded, ready for travel. It's about being alert, ready for action. And Peter is saying to Christians, that's what you need to do with your, with your brains, with your heads, with your minds. Gird up the loins of your mind, engage your brains, be ready for action, roll up your sleeves, put your game face on, get ready to do some hard thinking. Some people accuse Christians of not really using their brains. You're not very intelligent if you're a christian like you know you have to you come to church but you hang up your brain at the door or you log on to watch globe church online but you're not really having to think too hard about it you're brainwashed maybe some christians even actually say something similar although not quite in the same way but you might be thinking something like yeah as a christian i don't really need to think too hard about this stuff. You know, I don't need to worry about doctrine and, and hard stuff like that because it's all about relationship, isn't it? It's about how I feel in my relationship with God. Love is all you need. But Peter says, no, not at all, actually. Engage your brains. Wake up your, your minds. Be alert. Sometimes we can get lazy with our thinking about the things of God. It's not great, is it? I mean, we put loads of brain power into our studies, or our work, or our fantasy football team. Man, I put, uh, last year I actually had to take a, a year off fantasy football because I knew I had a problem when I had this color-coded spreadsheet with all that kind of calculations about the best players to have in my team. And then I give up after three weeks anyway. So I decided I have to... We put loads of brain energy into those kind of things. I wonder, do we have the same commitment? Do I have the same mental energy when I come to think about the things of God? When I come to read God's words? Or, or when I come to church and sit under a sermon? Am I, am I even expecting to have to use my mind and, and my brain in those ways? When we come to Jesus... When we come to spend time with him, we need to be ready for action, Jesus, sir. Engage your mind. So minds that are alert. Second, and can you see in verse 13, it's there too. Fully sober with minds that are alert and fully sober. This is about thinking clearly. It's the opposite of being under the influence of something that makes your mind foggy and hazy. I once broke my collarbone paying, playing uh, football. Um, it, it was very painful. Has anyone else broken a collarbone ever? Maybe someone online, you can uh, join with my sympathy. It's a very painful uh, bone to break. I think we even have a doctor in the room, don't we? So it is a, a painful brain- bone to break, isn't it? Um, not, not helped, actually, by the fact that as I lay there on the floor uh, in agony, all of the guys I was playing with just kind of, like, came around and said, do you mind getting, you're kind of in the way. <laughs> also not helped by the fact that the, the first aider, in the leisure centre clearly had never put a sling on a, an actual human being before, and so he just jogged my shoulder around until the ambulance came. But when the ambulance came, it was much better because of laughing gas. Uh, laughing gas helped massively with the pain, uh, but it also did something to my brain. It was weird. I remember being kind of like vaguely aware of what I was saying, but I had to focus really hard just to form any sort of coherent sentence. That's what happens when your mind is intoxicated with something. It goes all hazy. I'm sure we've all had that experience of feeling like our brain is made out of treacle, and we just can't think clearly about anything. And Peter says, no, when you're thinking about the things of God, you need to be thinking clearly with minds that are fully sober. It's not just talking about uh, not getting drunk although it certainly includes that. Uh, After all, how are we supposed to think clearly about God? How are we supposed to make decisions that honor God, or to form words and thoughts that display God's goodness if we are under the influence of alcohol? This is one area where we should be distinct from the world uh, who are watching on. But when Peter says minds that are fully sober, he's not just talking about the effects of alcohol. The fact is that there are many things that can affect and and cloud our mind and our thinking. It might be emotions, emotions that stop us thinking clearly about God. Perhaps we're suffering. Uh, And in that moment, as as you struggle with that particular trial, we lose sight of, God and his goodness. I'm sure we've all been in that kind of situation where in a situation like that where we we find ourselves kind of confused and, and thinking wrong things about God. We begin to doubt him, maybe even dislike him almost like our thinking is under the influence of our emotions. Or maybe your mind is clouded by circumstances. Circumstances sometimes are just so, so, so many and so distracting, they seem to crowd in, and it feels like there's so much on my plate, I don't have any headspace for anything else. When our circumstances are overwhelming, that can stop us thinking clearly about the things of God. Or perhaps we're intoxicated with the things of now. We become so focused on the opportunities and the responsibilities, and many of them are good things, but we become so focused in on the things that are right in front of us that we lose sight of the things to come. If our minds are dominated by emotions or circumstances, then our thinking about God disappears or becomes distorted. Distorted. But Peter says, that if you're going to have true and living hope, and who wouldn't want to have true and living hope? That's what we can have as Christians, as those who are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, trusting in him alone. What do we get? We get this living hope. And if we're going to experience and enjoy this living hope, we need to think clearly and have minds that are ready for action, alert and fully sober. You see, the gospel of grace doesn't just affect what we do with our bodies and what we say with our mouths, but also our minds. God, is, God wants all of us. He's concerned with our thoughts, the way that we think. In fact, right thinking is the basis for right doing. In fact, this, is, this concept is so foundational that Peter uses this exact same phrase twice more in his letter. Flick forward to chapter 4, verse 7. Peter says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you can pray. 5 verse 8, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I went on safari one time in South Africa, and you have to get up really early to make the most of the animals, and after several hours of kind of bumping along in the, the warm sunlight. Most of us began to get quite drowsy and and dreamy and begin to doze off. But I can tell you that when we broke down 10 meters away from a wild elephant, at that point we were alert and sober-minded, thinking clearly. At a later point, when we got out of our car to see what all the fuss was, there were other tourists there, and we could see, oh yeah, there's a cheetah just over there, and we're out of our car. At that point, we were, we were not about to doze off. We realized in that situation how important it was to have a focused mind. And I think that's what Peter is saying here. He's saying, look, the end of all things is near. Your, your enemy, the devil, is like a lion roaring around. It is absolutely crucial that our minds are engaged, that we're not drowsy and drifting off and lazy about the way that we think, but that we're ready for action, thinking clearly, thinking actively about the things of God." Think of our Lord Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane in those moments leading up to the cross where he was about to win for us that buffet of blessings that we talked about in the first 12 verses by dying in our place under the most intense strain and what were his disciples doing? They were falling asleep. But Jesus, he was alert, he was sober-minded so that he could pray earnestly under the most intense pressure and emotion, but he did not let his circumstances cloud his thinking. His emotions did not distort his view of his father. That's the model for us. Alert, fully sober, thinking energetically, thinking clearly, but thinking about what? What is it that our minds need to be focused on? Hopefully you're with me that we need to have minds that are active and, and clear. But what actually should we be thinking about? Well, take a look again at verse 13. With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That is the thing that should be filling our minds and dominating our thoughts. Jesus is coming, and he's bringing blessing. And that's what it means by the grace to be brought to you. That's the undeserved blessings of God, won for us by Jesus at the cross. And some of that grace, some of those blessings we receive and enjoy now, but some of them are kind of, it's delayed gratification. We're going we're gonna to receive them when Jesus returns. And that's what That's what Peter's talking about here. The grace that is coming with Jesus. Jesus is coming and he's bringing blessing. He's going to bring with him all of that stuff that we've just been talking about from the first 12 verses. That buffet of blessings. Remember the words, therefore? Because of all this, therefore, set your hope on this, on these same things. It's like Peter's saying, look, I've just told you. I've spent 12 verses telling you what this coming grace is going to be like. And and now focus your mind on those things. Think about what I said in verse 4 about how your inheritance is one that can never perish, spoil, or fade. How I described it in verse 5 as coming salvation. The fact that when Jesus returns, we're going to be thoroughly saved. Thoroughly saved from sin and all of its consequences. Think about the fact, like I said in verse 7, that when Jesus Christ is revealed, you, his people, will receive praise, glory, and honor as his blessed people. Jesus is coming, and he's bringing blessing. So fix your minds on that. And as you fix your minds on it, it will fuel your hope in it. The way that we hope is by thinking. Thinking about the fact that Jesus is coming and he's bringing blessing. As we fill our minds with those wonderful truths for the future, it gives us living hope in the now. Thinking leads to hoping. Our mind serves our hearts. Our thoughts serve to shape our emotions. What hope it brings to the person suffering with sickness and pain uh, or a body that doesn't work like it used to, to remember the fact that Jesus is coming and when Jesus comes, he's going to bring with him a brand new body that will never break. What hope it gives to those who are absolutely exhausted to think about the fact that when Jesus returns, how is it described? Eternal rest. What hope it, it gives us as we struggle with sin, to remember that when Jesus returns, he will save us completely so that there won't even be the slightest presence of sin. In fact, it will be impossible to sin. Wouldn't that be great? What hope it brings as we feel the effects of a pandemic to know that our inheritance is 100% COVID secure. What hope it gives to those who are lonely To meditate on the day when they will be face to face with Jesus. What hope for those distressed by injustice and racism and poverty. To remember that when Jesus comes in his kingdom, all evil will be removed and destroyed completely. What hope for those who feel worthless. To lift the eyes of their mind to the fact that when Jesus returns, they will receive praise, glory and honor as one of his loved people. Hope burns like wildfire when we choose to remember the fact that Jesus is coming and he's bringing blessing. Do you see how thinking affects our feeling? How filling our mind with these truths then fuels the fires of hope? If we were to just focus on the problems, and that's often what we do, isn't it? We're often um, so dominated by things as they arrive and as they arise in our lives. And if we just focus on the problems the circumstances and the emotions that they bring if we are preoccupied with the things of now then we won't really have that living hope but the bible makes it clear that we actually have a um, responsibility for our thoughts we have a choice over what to think about the bible says take every thought captive and make it obedient to christ and so peter says set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. That's going to take effort. We know how hard it is sometimes to control our thoughts and our emotions. So we need to work hard. We need to gird up the loins of our minds, actively choosing to think about the return of Jesus and the undeserved blessings of God that will come with him. Sometimes that will involve uh, redirecting a train of thought when it's heading down the wrong track. Um, you know those moments where you find yourself in something of a, a downward spiral, and uh, you, you're, you're kind of losing, losing hope, losing sight of the future. You begin to think wrong things about God, or about yourself, or about your circumstances. And you, know, you kind of know in the moment that you're not quite thinking clearly about things, and you're not, you're not, you're not thinking about truth in that moment we actually need to work hard in those moments not to just say ah whatever and just go down the cycle we need to work hard to redirect those thoughts to lift our eyes so next time you find yourself doubting or disobeying or even disliking god lift your eyes bring to mind that fact that jesus really is coming and he's bringing blessing so it's something that we need to think about in those crisis moments But better still would be to get into the habit of setting our minds on things above. Not just in those crisis moments, but as a kind of everyday part of our lives so that the return of Jesus and the life to come isn't just something we remember occasionally, but the ever-present undercurrent that colors each day with joy and anticipation and hope. What difference it would make if we made that day a part of our every day. Uh, there's all sorts of ways that we can do that. Uh, you can read books about it. You can sing songs about it. Pray for the return of Jesus. Make that a regular part of your praying, lifting your eyes to what's to come. Talk about the return of Jesus. Um, I don't think we do that enough. It's almost like we don't really believe it's, it's gonna happen. I was reading something uh, with my wife last night, um, Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we looked at each other and said, We have eternal life. Like, we, we, actually, like we actually have eternal life now. And it just did our souls good to just chat about that for a few minutes. Like, what, what that's gonna, I mean, it had been a bit of a tough day, so <laughs> it helped to lift our eyes. Um, but we don't talk about it enough. That's something we can help each other with. But surely the, the best way to fuel the fires of hope is to meditate on the parts of God's word which describe those wonderful truths. And so as we close now, I'm going to read um, the buffet of blessings again from verse 3 uh, down to 13. And I invite you as we go, engage your brain. Uh, if you're in this room, it's quite warm. If you're at home or watching somewhere else, it may be warm or you might be distracted at this point. But just focus your mind in. Think clearly, think actively about the wonderful truths that we're going to read uh, from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. and new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, in all of those wonderful truths, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you, when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you this afternoon that you are the God who died and rose again and ascended into heaven and who is returning one day. How we long for that day when you will come and put all that is wrong right. When you will come and put an end to evil and suffering and pain and brokenness. As creation groans, we groan with it. And we say, Come, Lord Jesus. Help us in the now to fix our eyes on what's to come. Please, would you fuel the fires of hope in our hearts? That we would have minds engaged and alert ready for action, thinking clearly, thinking hard about the things of God so that our lives overflow with the wonderful truth of what you've done for us in Jesus and what you are going to do for us when Jesus returns? Would we live such distinct lives that people can't help but notice and help us then to be able to give an answer and a reason for the hope that we have hope that transcends understanding, hope that doesn't make sense in the middle of things like a coronavirus pandemic. Fuel those fires of of hope, we pray, and enable us therefore to live in a way which glorifies your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.